Hello, and welcome to Holly History, where we discuss what you want to hear. Bringing you the story and answering your questions. No fake news, no alternative facts. Just history, all the time. Welcome to Holly History, where we discuss what you want to hear. Uh, Mr. Chrisman uh, at the helm today from his underground command center. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the age of Jackson. Obviously, uh, Andrew Jackson is kind of the key figure in this time period with the entire era uh, named in his honor. Uh, He's kind of a controversial uh, figure in in the more modern world here. Uh, We're going to kind of get into some of those things as well. Uh, we are going to start, however, uh, with the 1824 election. Now, this is an election that is uh, strange because there are four candidates for president, not two like we normally see uh, in presidential elections. So you have John Quincy Adams representing Massachusetts in, in kind of a northern um, a northern uh, figure. Uh, you have Andrew Jackson from Tennessee uh, representing the West. You have Henry Clay from Kentucky, also representing the West, and you have William Crawford of Georgia uh, representing the South. Uh, What's interesting about this election is that no one won 51% of the electoral vote. Now, what that means is that technically nobody won the election. Remember, there's a popular vote and there's an electoral vote. The electoral votes are the ones that matter, not the popular vote. So if you go back to your constitution and you read through, there's actually a a section in the constitution that discusses what to do in a matter like this. And that is the House of Representatives will decide the election. So the matter goes to the House of Representatives. And the way it works is the top three vote getters in the election, uh, there's basically a runoff in the House. Uh, The House of Representatives, uh, again, needs a 51%. You need to have a majority of the votes. 34 times the House of Representatives votes, and 34 times nobody ends up with um, the the majority that they need. Uh, the, the key vote is on the 35th vote, and that's when Henry Clay uh, told his supporters to vote for John Quincy Adams so that Adams would win the election. Now, Clay does not do this out of the kindness of his heart. Uh, Henry Clay hates uh, Andrew Jackson. And even more importantly than that, uh, what Henry Clay is going to get out of this is that John Quincy Adams has promised Henry Clay uh, that Henry Clay would become his secretary of state uh, if he became elected. Now, that might not seem like a big deal today, but if you look back to past secretaries of state up to this point, you have people like Thomas Jefferson, you have people like James Madison, and the secretary of state position was seen as a pathway to the presidency. So Henry Clay was kind of hoping that this would be uh, his pathway to the presidency in the future. Andrew Jackson, who had more of the popular vote than any of the other candidates. Now remember, popular vote really doesn't matter here. Uh, Jackson was absolutely furious because he felt that uh, he had he had garnered more votes in the the public um, the public vote. 
uh, and that he should have won that that election in the House of Representatives. Jackson ended up calling this the corrupt bargain. He felt the election actually had been stolen from him uh, in some sort of uh, corrupt or illegal bargain. Now, that bargain was not illegal. You might be able to make the argument it's not exactly uh, moral, uh, but that's a whole discussion for maybe another podcast. So that sets up uh, the 1828 election, where you have John Quincy Adams, the incumbent president, uh, who's going to run against, guess who? Andrew Jackson. So the 1828 election, uh, the issues are a couple. First and foremost, Jackson's going to bring up that corrupt bargain again and again and again. And there's an, a tariff that was put in place under the presidency of John Quincy Adams that uh, Jackson called the Tariff of Abominations. An abomination is something that is uh, detested. Uh, many of you probably feel that uh, homework is an abomination. Um, Jackson thought that it actually was detrimental to farmers. And in the 1828 election, uh, Jackson not only uh, will win the popular vote, he wins the electoral vote as well, 178 to 83. It's interesting how Jackson tried to really portray himself during this election. He really uh, portrayed himself as the common man while he portrayed John Quincy Adams as uh, rich and kind of out of touch with the average American. This is a strategy that's used many, many times uh, in presidential elections. And you'll see that Andrew, if, if you do some real research on Andrew Jackson, Jackson wasn't exactly uh, dirt poor at this point in his life either. So Jackson's inauguration uh, is going to be different than most other pre presidential inaugurations. Jackson holds it for the common people. As a matter of fact, when the, the swearing-in ceremony is over, uh, the people themselves were invited to the White House uh, for a reception. And that's where things kind of got out of control. Uh, there's numerous eyewitness accounts. Uh, I chose to, to share with you today an eyewitness account by Mary Bayard. Uh, she was at the White House. Uh, and this is what she had to say about this reception after Jackson's inauguration ceremony was over and the craziness at the White House. And she says, quote, Ladies fainted. Men were seen with bloody noses, and such a scene of confusion took place as is impossible to describe. Those who, could get, those who, who got in could not get out by the door again, but had to scramble out the windows. At one time, the president had retreated and retreated until he was pressed against the wall. He could only be secured by a number of gentlemen forming around him, making a kind of barrier of their own bodies. And the pressure was so great that Colonel Bumford, who was one, who was one said that at one time he was afraid they should be pushed down or on the president. It was then that the windows were thrown open and the torrent found an outlet, which otherwise might have proved fatal. Jackson is uh, taken by his... Uh, supporters. He's actually lifted out of the window to safety. Uh, there are other accounts of that uh, incident where dishes are being smashed, windows broken. Uh, it certainly was uh, an event to see, I'm sure. Now, Jackson becomes president and is going to be known for a, a number of uh, changes and strategies that he's going to use. Uh, probably the first and foremost that he's best known for is something called the spoil system. Now, this this phrase spoil system goes back to an old phrase that says to the to the victor goes the spoils, meaning to the winner of a contest go all the goodies that went with winning. 
And in my classroom, I talk a lot about you know, if you win the Super Bowl, what are the types of things you get? Will you get a championship ring? Uh, the MVP gets a car. You get bragging rights. Uh, you get a trophy. Uh, you get money. Those are all the spoils of winning the Super Bowl. So what is it that the president gets as the spoils of winning the presidency? Well, one of the things that people forget is that the president gets to appoint a large number of people to different positions in the government. So Jackson is going to use the government to support or to, to reward his friends and supporters with jobs in the government. Now, the problem with Jackson's uh, appointments is that many of the folks that he appoints to these jobs are not qualified for the jobs that they have, and that will create some interesting and unique problems. This time period is also known for what is known as Jacksonian democracy. We have a real expansion in the number of voters in the United States. And so what happens is because land is now so abundant in the United States, remember we've, we purchased the Louisiana Territory in 1803, uh, we purchased Florida in 1819, uh, you have a lot of people who are, who are owning land. So land as, or property as a requirement in order to vote kind of falls by the wayside. Now, that's not saying that we're expanding uh, voting to women. It's not saying we're expanding voting to Native Americans and certainly not saying we're vote expanding voting to African Americans at this point in history. But what it is doing is it's taking poor white men who generally did not have the opportunity to vote uh, and did allow them to vote. Um, Jackson's other policy that is probably going to be kind of the most controversial and the one that we discuss an awful lot in classes today uh, is his policy towards Native Americans. And Jackson will, will work with the Congress to pass the Indian Removal Act. Jackson and many Americans in this time period felt that Native Americans were in the way of American progress. There are still uh, about 125,000 Native Americans living in the southeastern part of the country. They're living on land that many plantation owners wanted to use in that expansion that we had talked about in the last podcast, the market revolution. You have the cotton gin being invented, an increase in the production of cotton, which also causes an increase in the demand for slaves. And these plantation owners want more and more land. They see these Native American tribes as being in the way. Now, the tribes are involved uh, at least the five major ones, become known as the five civilized tribes. And the reason why they're called civilized in this time period is they converted to Christianity. They had learned to read and to speak English, and some of them actually had their own languages turn into written form, which up until this point was kind of unheard of for Native Americans because so much history uh, and tradition was passed down orally. Those five civilized tribes you might recognize. They were the Cherokee, the Chickasaw, the Choctaw, the Seminole, and the Creek. So Andrew Jackson is going to work with Congress to pass the Indian Removal Act in 1830. Uh, this allowed the president to negotiate with Native Americans and to move them with force if necessary west of the Mississippi River. State governments were also allowed to, allowed to aid in this effort of removing Native Americans from areas that the states and the people wanted uh, land-wise. Now, this is going to lead to an important Supreme Court case in 1832, when the case is Worcester v. Georgia. And 
1832, we have Samuel Worcester, who is a Christian missionary. Uh, he's going to sue the state of Georgia for trying to force Native Americans off their land in the mountains of, of western Georgia. Um, and the tribe that's involved here are the Cherokee. And the reason why the tribe is, is being asked to move is because gold was discovered in the western uh, mountains of Georgia. So this, the case goes all the way to the Supreme Court. Now, this is interesting because Worcester is suing on behalf of the Cherokee tribe. So the Cherokee are not fighting, uh, at least not in a way that we think of like war. They're not fighting and killing people to, to maintain their land. They're actually going through the legal system, which the Cherokee were hoping would kind of give them a, a, a leg up on the government. Uh, the case, when it ends up in the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court ruled that the Cherokee were a sovereign nation, uh, meaning that the United States could not force them to do things and that the state of Georgia could not just kick them out. That Georgia had to negotiate um, some sort of um, payment or, or, or some sort of arrangement that the Cherokee would leave if they chose to. Now, Andrew Jackson did not like the ruling of the Supreme Court. And this is where things kind of get interesting with our, our system of checks and balances. You, know, the, you have the executive branch, which is the president who executes the laws, carries them out. You have the legislative branch, which will write the laws. And you have the Supreme Court, which will interpret the laws. But what happens when the president doesn't like the interpretation of a law? In this case, Andrew Jackson responded to John Marshall, the head, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, the head of the court. And he said, John Marshall, this is what Jackson said, quote, John Marshall has made his decision. Now let him enforce it, unquote. And what this means is Jackson's going to refuse to even abide by what the Supreme Court said. Our system of checks and balances is supposed to make sure that each of the three branches is checked or balanced out by the other two. In this case, there's nothing in the Constitution that forces Jackson to do what the Supreme Court says. As a result of this, we have an incident known as the Trail of Tears, which I know many students have heard of before. Andrew Jackson will use the army during the Trail of Tears to forcibly remove Native Americans west of the Mississippi River, mostly Cherokee. Of the 16,000 Cherokees forcibly removed from western Georgia, historians don't agree 100%. Uh, I've seen numbers as low as 2,000. I've seen numbers as high as 12,000. But most sources I was looking at earlier when I was preparing for this episode said at least 4,000 Cherokee died on the journey. Many others will actually die when they reach the Native American territory that they're moved to. Now, that Native American territory they're moved to is present-day Oklahoma. Uh, and that was chosen because, at least in that time period, uh, Oklahoma was not seen as a valuable area. Now, Later on, during the Industrial Revolution, when oil is discovered in Oklahoma, you can imagine the Native Americans, including the Cherokee, are going to be removed again. Uh, the argument's going to be made for their own good. One of those uh, five civilized tribes that will fight back uh, using war uh, and, and, and attacking U.S. military will be the Seminole. Uh, they're going to fight a lengthy uh, war in what is present-day Florida, uh, but eventually they are defeated uh, and they are forced uh, west as well. So Jackson sees Native Americans more as a nuisance than anything. I know some more modern historians have called it a genocide. It certainly is a huge criticism of Andrew Jackson. And there's also some real criticism of Jackson uh, not following what the Supreme Court had ruled. 
Jackson will also, in 1832, uh, take another action that will really uh, be criticized by future historians as well. And that is, uh, in 1832, the National Bank, which was established by Alexander Hamilton, was up for um, to be recertified. Andrew Jackson vetoed that recertification. Uh, Andrew Jackson thought that the National Bank only benefited businessmen and not farmers. And remember, Andrew Jackson is a man of the people. He's a common man. He represents the farmers. Uh, Jackson felt that the National Bank only benefited rich businessmen, and therefore uh, he struck it down. Uh, and, and so the National Bank, as of 1832, uh, is no longer a federal institution. In 1836, after Jackson has served two terms, he follows Washington's example to not run for a third term. Uh, so the person who does run for the Democratic Party that Jackson was from was Andrew Jackson's vice president, Martin Van Buren uh, from New York. Uh, Van Buren runs against uh, four other candidates and Van Buren ends up winning for the most part because people are, are happy with the way that uh, things went under Andrew Jackson and they're hoping that that will continue under the rule of um, Martin Van Buren. Uh, the problem for Martin Van Buren is that he's kind of a, a victim of circumstance. A year later, in 1837, we have what's known as the Panic of 1837. It's really one of the, the major depressions that hit the United States. Uh, now, what's interesting about this is the National Bank might have been able to help out in the situation, but by the time Martin Van Buren is president, that bank is gone. That national bank is gone. And therefore, there's nothing really to stop this economic depression. Um, now, the bank not being there is Jackson's fault. But Martin Van Buren gets blamed for the depression because he's president when it happens. Matter of fact, uh, Martin Van Buren's critics uh, gave him the nickname Martin Van Ruin. And that's because bank failures were, were going on all across the country. In New York State alone, Bank failures were worth over $100 million. Um, and of the 850 banks in the country, 343 closed for good. That's certainly not good for business, and it's also not good for farmers. Uh, and that is going to lead to some major problems down the road. Now, that kind of brings us to the end of the what this time period we call the Age of Jackson. And it brings me back to that question, is Andrew Jackson a hero or not? So let me, let me throw both sides uh, out there, so the, the positives and the negatives. Is Jackson a hero? Let's say yes. Andrew Jackson led for more democracy, for more people being able to vote, and he challenged the system of politicians who had been in power for a long time. He really was trying to uh, get the common person involved in politics. Let's go with he's not a hero. What are the negatives? Well, he does expand voting, but that voting still didn't, did not include women, uh, African-Americans or Native Americans. His policies, his Native American policies, under, under modern-day terms, would be considered genocide. And his blatant use of power, especially with that Worcester v. Georgia Supreme Court ruling, really earned him the nickname King Andrew, and maybe rightfully so. So we have a time period that's very complex. We have the country expanding, but we also have real challenges and real questions that are going to be going on about the Constitution and how much power the president has. 
And with that said, there's going to be problems coming up here in the next podcast or two that are going to help build and lead to, of course, the American Civil War. So that's the, that's the end of this podcast for the Age of Jackson. If you have any questions or ideas for topics for us to answer or discuss, please contact us at hollyhistory65 at gmail.com or send us a tweet at hollyhistory. Don't forget, we have a ton of episodes, including other history shorts at Holly History on SoundCloud, or check out our, our YouTube uh, channel, Holly History. I appreciate you listening. Thank you very much, and have a good day.